Hey there everyone and welcome back to the Finals Countdown series, which is brought to you by MedTalks. We're still within the cardiovascular system and today I'll be talking to you about cardiomyopathies. The main types of cardiomyopathies which I'll discuss are hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy or HOCAM, dilated cardiomyopathy and restrictive cardiomyopathy. I'm Sahil and I'm a junior doctor working in the East Midlands. So let's get started. Any cardiomyopathy is defined as a structural and functional abnormality in the myocardium in the absence of any coronary artery disease, hypertension, valvular or congenital heart disease. And special shout out to the European Heart Journal for that beautiful definition. I wish I could say I made it myself. First, let's talk about hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, also known as HOCAM. So HOCAM is an autosomal dominant genetic disorder where mutations occur in the cardiac beta-myosin heavy chain gene, the troponin and alpha-tropomyosin genes. And these encode sarcomere proteins. And the, these mutations lead to left ventricular hypertrophy and poorly functioning myocytes. HOCAM is the most common cause of sudden cardiac death in young people and athletes. So it leads to left ventricular hypertrophy, which in turn causes decreased compliance of the left ventricle, and this leads to a reduced cardiac output. So how does HOCAM present? Most people are asymptomatic and don't, do not realise that there's anything wrong with their heart. But if symptoms do occur, then it has, can cause exertional dyspnea, chest pain, palpitations and syncope. And syncope can occur as a result of the functional aortic stenosis which is caused by the subaortic hypertrophy of the ventricular septum. The worst presentation of HOCAM is sudden cardiac death prior to its diagnosis due to sudden arrhythmia or outflow tract obstruction. Examination of a patient with underlying HOCAM may elicit the following signs. A forceful double apex beat due to the hypertrophied ventricle. Mitral valve problems such as mitral regurgitation due to left ventricular hypertrophy. A late ejection systolic murmur due to dynamic left outflow tract obstruction which is caused by the left ventricular hypertrophy. And this murmur is exacerbated by the valsalva manoeuvre. And the valsalva manoeuvre effectively acts to decrease left ventricular filling which results in worsened left ventricular outflow tract obstruction in patients with hokum, making the murmur louder. And it, the murmur is reduced in the squatting position. And the reason for this is that rapid squatting from a standing position leads to the blood within the legs being pushed back to the heart. And so this increases venous return, which then increases preload. So there's more blood within the left ventricle that can get pushed out into the aorta. And so the murmur will reduce. It does not radiate to the neck unlike in aortic stenosis and you can check out our previous episodes on aortic and mitral valve murmurs for more information on these. Also atrial fibrillation may occur and this is manifested by an, by an irregularly irregular pulse. This is common in hokum. So how do we diagnose it? Well an ECG may show left ventricular hypertrophy manifested by tall R waves it may show signs of any ischemia, such as T-wave inversion. It may show left, left axis deviation or right axis deviation and atrial fibrillation. 
The chest x-ray may show left atrial enlargement secondary to mitral regurgitation. And a transthoracic echocardiogram is diagnostic as it will show asymmetrical septal hypertrophy, so a dispro disproportionate increase in the thickness of the intraventricular septum and a non-dilated left ventricular cavity. And this will become more important when we talk about dilated cardiomyopathy. So how do we manage hokum? Well, it's difficult. The objective is to treat the symptoms and prevent any complications. A beta blocker or a calcium channel blocker such as verapamil can be used for symptoms. And the aim is to reduce ventricular contractility. Atrial fibrillation is often present in patients with hokum, so they will, may need some amiodarone and anticoagulation. And if patients have multiple risk factors for sudden cardiac death, such as they're younger than 30, and they have a family history of sudden premature death, then they may require an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, ICD, for prevention of sudden death. So that's the medical management, but there is also a surgical option, so a septal myomectomy which is reserved for patients with severe symptoms despite medical therapy. And this decreases left ventricular outflow tract obstruction and it improves symptoms. It involves a midline stenotomy and removal of the intraventricular septum. In terms of genetic counselling, the first degree relatives of patients with hokum should be regularly screened with an ECG and an echocardiogram. And for the prognosis, the annual mortality risk of HOCAM is about 1-3%. to The risk factors for sudden death include unexplained syncopal events, episodes of ventricular fibrillation or ventricular tachycardia, abnormal blood pressure response to exercise, a family history of sudden cardiac death, age younger than 30. So that's HOCAM. Now I'd like to talk about the most common form of cardiomyopathy, which is dilated cardiomyopathy. So 90% of cardiomyopathy cases are dilated cardiomyopathy and this type is characterized by ventricular chamber enlargement and subsequent contractile dysfunction with a normal left ventricular wall thickness and it usually affects the left or both ventricles. It's more common in men and Afro-Caribbeans and its peak is between 20 and 60 years old. The causes of dilated cardiomyopathy vary to a great extent. There may be genetic mutations, usually have an autosomal dominant picture, but non-genetic causes may be idiopathic, alcoholism, ischemia, thyrotoxicosis, autoimmune conditions such as systemic lupus erythematosus or rheumatoid arthritis, infectious diseases such as HIV, Coxsackie B virus, adenovirus, cytomegalovirus, toxoplasmosis, infiltrative conditions such as hemochromatosis, sarcoidosis and amyloidosis, drugs such as cocaine, amphetamine and heroin, and also peripartum. So the dilated chambers leads to systolic dysfunction and, it, and so it presents typically with signs of heart failure, so a raised JVP, a loud third heart sound, peripheral edema, pulmonary congestion which causes dyspnea, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea and orthopnea, fatigue and weakness, arrhythmias, and potentially thromboembolism. Various investigations can be used to diagnose dilated cardiomyopathy, so an ECG may show nonspecific T-wave and ST changes such as ST depression and T-wave inversion, signs of ischemia. Chest x-ray may show cardiomegaly, pulmonary edema, and a balloon appearance of the heart. 
and an echocardiogram is diagnostic, which shows marked dilatation of the left ventricular cavity and a reduced systolic function. A cardiac muscle biopsy is only rarely performed, but may be considered in patients with a specific cause, such as amyloidosis or sarcoidosis, is suspected. In terms of the management, again, it's difficult to manage this condition. We should treat any reversible causes, such as infiltrative conditions like hemochromatosis or thyrotoxicosis. Treat the heart failure with loop diuretics, such as furosemide. ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers with beta blockers if they have reduced left ventricular ejection fraction. And those who have AF will need anticoagulation with warfarin or a novel oroanticoagulant. And in patients with high risk of, high risk of arrhythmias and therefore sudden cardiac death, then an ICT, ICD device should be considered. In terms of prognosis, the clinical course is variable and the five-year survival with patients with dilated cardiomyopathy is around 30%, and peripartum cardiomyopathy is associated with high morbidity and mortality. And finally, I'd like to talk about the least common type of cardiomyopathy called restrictive cardiomyopathy, where there is normal left ventricular cavity size and systolic function, but there is increased myocardial stiffness, so the myocardium is incompliant and it fills mainly during early diastole. So it can be broadly divided into two types. Firstly, where there is infiltration of the myocardium by an invasive substance such as amyloid plaques, sarcoidosis or iron in hemochromatosis, or a fibrotic myocardium without an external invasive substance. It most commonly affects the left ventricle but can often affect both. And the condition could lead to high diastolic filling pressures, which leads to pulmonary hypertension, and it's commonly associated with mural thrombi. Usually there is no underlying cause and so it's idiopathic, but amyloid heart disease is the most common cause in the Western world. So stiff walls of the ventricles prevents adequate filling, which leads to reduced preload and reduced blood flow and so blood volume backs up into the circulation. So it leads to symptoms of heart failure, but there's normal systolic function. So we get dyspnea, fatigue, a loud S3 heart sound and pulmonary edema and right ventricular heart failure causes a raised JVP, hepatomegaly, and ascites, and peripheral edema. And atrial fibrillation is found in 75% of cases. In terms of investigations, an ECG may show a reduced QRS voltage, and an echocardiogram will show normal systolic function, diastolic dysfunction, and a restrictive filling pattern. For the management, we can treat the cause. So, for example, if it's caused by sarcoidosis, we can use corticosteroids. And symptom management, so diuretics and ACE inhibitors for the heart failure. Amiodarone can reduce ventricular arrhythmias. And if there is associated AF, we need to anticoagulate the patient. And if they are at a high risk of sudden death, they need to have an implantable cardioverter defibrillator or an ICD. And the clinical cause of restrictive cardiomyopathy is variable. But if amyloid is the cause, then this has the worst prognosis. So that's cardiomyopathy. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and have found it useful. Please remember to give us some feedback and let us know your thoughts. Let us know how we can improve. Share them with your friends and your peers who may also find them useful. You can ask us any questions on Instagram, which is at medtalks.uk or via Facebook by just searching medtalks. Or you can drop us an email, which is hellomedtalks at gmail.com. 
Check out all of our other episodes in the cardiology section on all of the podcast platforms or even our website, which is www.medtalks.health. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye.